From Ontic Mind, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, an implant to restore color vision. So these pathways have their origins in distinct subtypes of retinal ganglion cells, which is the output neuron of the retina to higher visual centers in the brain. There have been a number of peer-reviewed papers on retinal implants that can provide some vision to patients with severe maculopathy or other retinal disease. I've even featured a number of these authors in this podcast. The implants these papers describe have in common that they are monochromatic. Now, let's say that we wanted to create a retinal implant that would sense color. That sounds easy enough. My digital camera, even my phone, contains sensors that can render color images. But the sensor is only part of the problem. How is color encoded in the retinal neurology? Are there retinal nerve fiber layers for different wavelengths of light? What about center surround processing? Is this monochromatic or polychromatic, and and how does that work? Well, there is someone who knows how it works, and that is Lan Yu, my guest today, author of a paper on a color-sensing retinal implant. What is the histopathological mechanism by which retinitis pigmentosa causes vision loss? Uh, Retinitis pigmentosa, I'll just call it RP. RP is a major form of inherited outer retinal degeneration. It initiates with progressive degeneration of rod photoreceptors in peripheral retina, uh, manifesting early symptoms as loss of peripheral vision and night vision. Uh, Degeneration of rods is followed by damages to RPE, which is retinal pigment epithelium cells, and deterioration of cones resulting in the visual decline from tunnel vision to blindness. So in end-stage RP, photoreceptors are nearly entirely absent, uh, depriving patients of the ability to perceive light and color. What are bioelectronic retinal implants, and, and how do they work, Lan? In RP, a significant number of inner retinal neurons downstream of the damaged photoreceptor layer, uh, such as bipolar cells and ganglion cells, remain capable of functioning. And these surviving neurons can be directly stimulated, bypassing the damaged photoreceptors. So bioelectronic retinal implants interface an electrode array with the surviving inner retinal neurons, eliciting visual perception by injecting electric currents into the retina. You know, as in medical school and ophthalmology during residency, of course, uh, we learn of uh, photoreceptors with different uh, frequency peaks uh, to to detect di- different colors. But you know, I I I had I've never thought of this until I I read your your paper downstream of the uh, color specific photoreceptors. How is color information encoded? In, in the, let's say, in the, the, the nerve fiber layer axons or, or, or the inner retina generally uh, as it's, it's transmitted centrally? Mm-hmm. Just as you said, um, in sighted people, there are three cone photoreceptor types that 
each responds to short, middle, and long wavelength of light. And this, this cone photoreceptors are denoted by S, M, and L cones, a diversity of retinal neurons downstream of this cone photoreceptors combine the L, S, M, and L cone photoreceptor signals to create a achromatic black-white pathway, as well as chromatic red-green and blue-yellow pathways. So these pathways have their origins in distinct subtypes of retinal ganglion cells, which is the output neuron of the retina to higher visual centers in the brain. Uh, there are some still controversial theories on which retinal ganglion cell types are responsible for which color channels. So as I just said, there are um, yellow, blue, green, red channels, four channels, but it's not fully known which ganglion cell types are responsible for these channels. For example, the classical view has emphasized the blue on signaling to the small bistratified ganglion cells and assumed that these cells are responsible for blue-yellow color perception, while midget ganglion cell types are that receive inputs from L and M cones are responsible for sensations of red and green. But in a competing theory, S cone input feeds the receptive field surrounds of the midget ganglion cells in four different ways and provide the physiological basis of four distinct color channels by summing with either M input for the blue-yellow axis or summing with L input for the red-green axis. So long story short, the uh, different retinal ganglion cell types are considered to be responsible for different color channels, but it's not well understood which cells are responsible for which colors. Len, I want to ask you what implants were employed in this study, but, but e even more than that, uh, or, or, or as, as much as that. Um, you talked about the intact tissues downstream of the compromised photoreceptors and uh, said that these, these tissues are, are intact and they, they, they can be uh, stimulated uh, by, by implants. How does the implant interface with these retinal tissues? And, and what is the implant? So what we have used in our uh, study is the Argus II epiretinal implant. It is called epiretinal implant because the electrode array is attached to the inner surface of the retina between the vitreous and the ganglion cell layer. So a retinal implant functions as an integral system that consists of multiple components. Typically, it contains a image acquisition device, an image processor, a stimulator chip, and an electrode array. The image acquisition device, such as a video camera, captures images from the visual field and passes them to a specialized computer for translation of these images to stimulation patterns of the electrode array. 
The stimulus pattern is generated by the implanted stimulator and subsequently delivered to the multi-electrode array that is positioned near the retina for stimulation. And the Argus II uh, implant, retinal implant, has the electrode array attached or tacked to the inner surface of the retina that is right on top of the ganglion cell layer. Now, I, I, have, I have several questions f from this. Um, one of them is uh, when you talk about the the specialized computer, the, the the processing that goes on between the the acquisition um, element and the array of of electrodes that are stimulating the 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 tissue, is the processing going on things like like center surround and, and, and the, the things that, that, that we think of as, as taking place within the uh, retina for detection of edges and uh, motion, things like, like this? Well, so the algorithm of a typical retinal prosthesis or retinal implant is simpler than what you just said. Uh, it doesn't really take account of the uh, center surround antagonism of the uh, ganglion cells uh, into their uh, design or of the stimulation pattern because for the current implant, the, each electrode is pretty uh, large in size. It's, uh, for take Argus II, for example, the electrode is 200 microns in diameter each. Um, and this electrode size does not have a uh, spatial specificity for single ganglion cells, let alone the center or surround um, receptive field of the single ganglion cells. So the, uh, the current stimulation algorithm, algorithms do not take uh, into account of this uh, more... Um, Spatially resolved stimulation patterns. Len, I I have a, a a resolution question, but I know it's a sort of complicated question. I imagine that the rate limiting thing with resolution is not the resolution of the pixels in the detector, but rather um, how many of the electrodes can be fit onto the back surface of the of the chip. Is is that the case and and if so what is the array of how large is the array of um the the electrodes on the on the back of of the chip i know it doesn't exactly translate to to to, to pixels but i just want to get a sense for this particular device there are 60 electrodes 60 electrodes uh in each array that means there are 60 pixels for stimulation Okay, and that obviously that 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 would well not obviously I would guess that 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 would be sort of the um, uh, limit on the the resolution that that the that the patient would experience even if everything works out perfectly. Uh -huh. How are the implants powered, and how do they encode uh, color information? And I know that this this was the subject of of the of the study, and we're going to talk 
about encoding of, of, of color in, in more detail. But before you began to work with this implant, how did you anticipate the implant would encode color? And again, what, what is its, its power source? Both the data and power are transmitted wirelessly to the implant from the, the external device. The commercial form of the implant is not really programmed to deliver color information to the patients. Rather, it encodes luminous information of the visual scene into the amplitude modulated electrical stimuli delivered by the array or the electrodes. Uh, the study that we did aims to explore the possibility of partially, at, at least partially, restoring color sensation in the blind RP patients by adopting a different algorithm to encode color information or to encode visual information to the electrical stimuli. Can I get you to describe the design of this study and the, the, the test population of the, of the study too? Sure. So we, we know that color plays a very important role in visual processing when it comes to recognizing the objects or orienting to the environment, especially at low spatial resolution as generated by the current retinal processes. So in this study, we tested the feasibility of partially restoring color perception in the blind RP patients uh, with the aim to provide chromatic information as an extra visual cue. So seven subjects blinded by advanced RP and monocularly fitted with a epiretinal prosthesis was tested. We investigated color perception in these patients under the dual control of frequency and amplitude. That is, we adjusted current amplitude to maintain phosphate, which is the electrically elicited uh, visual perception. So we adjusted the current amplitude to maintain phosphate brightness during the frequency modulation. And the testing was performed when the implant was in the direct stimulation mode, where the stimulation chip was under the direct control of an external computer bypassing the image acquisition of the prosthetic system. Um, so color perception of the subjects was acquired using the RYGB red, yellow, green, blue, hue and saturation scaling model, which is a color categorizing model that is extensively used in psychophysical studies. Len, you uh, said, and correct me if, if, mm -hmm. I, if I got this wrong, that uh, the, the intensity of the perceived light is related to the amplitude of the signal. But uh -huh. I imagine that not all patients are, are, are the same or, or have the same, require the same baseline stim stimulation. When the implant's put in, does the implant have to get calibrated to that particular patient? Uh, usually at one month after the implantation surgery, the device will be activated and calibrated. During this calibration, we will uh, get a good idea of the activation threshold of each electrode, meaning at which current level this particular electrode will be able to elicit light perception in this particular subject. 
and we will get a scanning of the entire array uh, for the subject. It might, in this way, uh, we will obtain the impedance, um, uh, perceptual threshold, and some other uh, basic visual function information of the subjects implanted with the device. And for our particular testing, we, uh, before our testing, we also redid the threshold examination. That means we have to obtain the threshold information of each electrode and we calibrate the stimulation amplitude based on such information. And during the testing, we will ask the patients um, what uh, brightness levels they perceive, whether it's high, uh, bright, medium, or dim, or in between. So we get both the subjective feedbacks from the, sub, uh, from the test subjects, as well as we base our uh, choice of amplitude based on their um, threshold information. Lynn, what were your results? What were your findings of the study? Within the tested parameter space that we uh, adopted, uh, five out of the seven subjects perceived chromatic colors along or nearby the blue-yellow axis in the color space. Uh, and the aggregate data obtained from 20 electrodes on these five subjects showed that an increase of the stimulation frequency from 60 to 120 hertz shifted the color perception towards blue or purple, uh, though there is a significant intersubject variation in the transition frequency. And the correlation between frequency and blue-yellow perception exhibited a good level of consistency over time. Um, and a, a, another interesting finding is that spatially matched multicolor perception was possible with simultaneous stimulation of paired electrodes. So I'm, I'm curious then, uh, when you did this, this testing for these patients and you were able to elicit uh, a perception of different colors along the uh, blue-yellow axis by modulating the, the, the frequency um, from the electrodes. Um, how, how stable was that? I mean, if, if you tested the, the, uh, the, the patient sometime later in, in the follow-up period, did their, their perceptions shift or, or, or did it stay pretty much the way that it was at, at that, I guess, the initial post-op month one visit? Yes. So we think long-term suitability of the electrically elicited color sensation is very important for establishing color as a reliable dimension of vis visual cues in prosthetic vision. So we did a testing to compare the color perception generated over six months apart in some of the subjects and we found a good level of long-term stability of color perception along the blue-yellow axis. So this frequency modulated shift along the blue-yellow axis uh, persists throughout the testing period.
I've, I'm going to make a say a really stupid thing, which is is that you obviously only tested these patients during the testing period. The the um, inner retina is not typically simulated externally in this way. Are are there any concerns about tissue damage resulting from this sort of of direct tissue simulation over the over the long term? And I know this is not something that this this particular project studied. So the uh, long term safety and efficacy of uh, a retinal implant has been uh, demonstrated by a number of studies in the past. Uh, a Limitation of our study is the uncertainty of the risks of tissue damage for stimuli delivered at high frequencies over long periods of time. Um, and previous devices typically used low frequency testing, uh, low frequency uh, stimulus, and we use high frequency. And it remains a question of whether high frequency would induce uh, some a tissue damage to the retina. And previous studies suggested that an increase in the stimulation frequency lowered the maximum current amplitude that the target tissue can be safely exposed to. It, it could be of concern that higher frequency stimulation may cause tissue damage, as previous studies suggested that an increase in the stimulation frequency could lower the maximum current amplitude that the target tissue can be safely exposed to. But our finding of the need to lower the current amplitude at higher frequencies in order to maintain phosphine brightness may reduce the chance of tissue damage. But nonetheless, caution needs to be taken in the calibration of the current strength of high frequency stimuli. I am going to demonstrate my naivete about this 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 whole subject with this next question um, which is this um, if the pixels on the detecting end of the implant are um, a, a factor with the resolution that the implant can produce then does segregating these pixels and now I, I let me back up I I know that um, this was a direct chip stimulation project, that this is not that patients were asked to look at different colors. I'm aware of that. But if the number of pixels um, it, 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 on the capture side of, of the chip it is uh, important in determining the resolution of the system, then would segregating these pixels by color reduce the achievable resolution of the implant? Or is it simply that there are so many pixels per electrode uh, that it doesn't really matter whether some are devoted to one frequency and some to a, to a different frequency? If there is, um, you, you know, an, an, an Argus 3 that mm -hmm. can uh, detect color and can translate that color uh, into coded stimuli on the electrode, is there going to be a trade-off with resolution? Are we trading uh, color perception for resolution? So given the limited spatial resolution of the current retinal prosthesis, such as Argus 2, what we have pro proposed is to add color information on top of the spatial information 
to provide an additional visual cue to the blind patients. So the color information will overlap with the spatial information, will be integrated with the spatial information. Um, and we know that color sensation, even at lower spatial resolutions, it doesn't have to be a high resolution. Even at low spatial resolution could add enormously to the visual ability of the blind. Um, it could enable them to search for the outstanding colors for guidance. And this would uh, potentially facilitate quicker and more accurate object recognition, target localization, and visually guided, guided orientation. Yeah, you, and and your paper has a has a beautiful picture. I, I encourage all of the listeners to mm -hmm. look at the paper of uh, of a, a grayscale image of uh, a very low resolution grayscale image of an apple, uh, mm -hmm. and, and you really can't tell what it is. And then the comparable color one, and it's very obvious uh, that uh, it's an it's an apple. When why were the colors perceived predominantly along the blue yellow axis? So this is a very good question, uh, unfortunately, of which there's no easy answer yet. And it is something that we're trying to determine in a ongoing magnistic study. Um, so earlier I mentioned uh, two competing theories on the types of <clears throat> ganglion cells that are responsible for different color channels. Given these competing theories, unveiling of the underlying mechanism of the electrically generated blue-yellow perception probably demand a systematic study of the frequency response of different ganglion cell types, for example, small bi-stratified ganglion cells and midget ganglion cells in the retinal network. Um, an interesting aspect of our results with respect to the midget ganglion cell theory is that according to that theory, yellow, white, and green are mediated by on-center midget ganglion cells, while red and blue are mediated by off-center midget ganglion cells. And as I just said, the tested patients uh, predominantly perceive blue and purple colors at the higher frequency. And purple is the simultaneously sensation of blue and red. So higher frequency, we can say, leads to a, a blue-dominated or blue-tinted color sensation. So uh, purple is a simultaneous sensation of blue and red. Thus, it is possible that the higher frequencies are more effective at stimulating the off-center ganglion cells, giving rise to blue and purple percepts while lower stimulus frequencies uh, may preferentially stimulate the all-centered ganglion cells, given the rise to the sensations of white and yellow. But this is just very hypothetical and a ways to be determined of how morphology, stratification, and even eye channel distribution could potentially contribute to the color sensation at different frequencies. Len, this is a, a really, really cool study. This is really neat. You, you're, you're to be congratulated for it. So it's completely unfair for, for me to now ask, what are you going to do next? But what are you going to do next? Where, 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 where do you see this, this project going? 
Okay, so our findings potentially offer a stimulation strategy in the inner retina, bypassing the severely damaged cold photoreceptor system to partially restore color vision to the blind. And our next steps will have two major goals. Number one, we are investigating the underlying neural mechanisms of the electrically driven color sensation, particularly along the blue-yellow axis. And number two, we are uh, further developing and optimizing the color generation strategies, uh, probably based on the mechanistic study uh, that we are performing. And we hope that one day these strategies can be clinically implemented to really restore color sensation to the blind patients. So cool. Len, I want to thank you so much for, for bringing this really, really neat project um, to us and, and mostly for being so very generous with your time with me today. Oh, thank you so much. Glad to be part of the, your podcast. And I think this is very important that someone do, is doing this work to decimate you know, visual information scientific progress to the community. Lan Yu is Assistant Professor of Research Ophthalmology at the University of Southern California Keck School of Medicine in Los Angeles, California. Her paper, Restoring Color Perception to the Blind, an Electrical Stimulation Strategy of Retina in Patients with End-Stage Retinitis Pigmentosa, appears in the August 2020 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Yu or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at onticmind.com. As seen from here is a production of Ontic Mind Incorporated. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.